why did the farmer get kicked out of the gym? Why? I have no idea. Any guesses? None. Welcome to Training Room Talk, powered by Precision Performance Physical Therapy. Here we will discuss all things related to physical preparation, including rehab, performance, and education. Hey guys, welcome back to Training Room Talk, powered by Precision Performance Physical Therapy. My name is Dr. Max LePage, and I am here with Dr. Troy Cuck. What's up, guys? And I am here with Hannah Lewis, um, who was formerly Hannah Morgan as of like a couple episodes ago. So the there's been a name change. She might need to explain herself, but... Um, hey, guys, how you doing? <laughs> yeah, so she is the current student at Precision Performance um, and is from Lynchburg. Again, you guys probably listened to or should have listened to the episode that... Um, she and I did with Nisha talking a little bit about the barriers to lifting weights for women. So if not, go back and listen to that one. But we're going to have a little bit, uh, just kind of like a casual conversation today, um, a little less informative. So if you're here for actionable advice, you're probably in the wrong place. But we are just going to talk about um, training mistakes that we've made, maybe myths that we've fallen for, or um, kind of... I don't want to be abrasive here, but just dumb decisions we might have made as trainees over the years uh, engaging in fitness. But before we do that, um, Hannah is like giggly, smiling, and has a joke for us that she's going to tell that Troy and I have not heard yet. So (laughs) the the mic is hers. Okay. Why did the farmer get kicked out of the gym? Why? I have no idea. Any guesses? None. He was destroying his calves. <laughs> it's good that he's hitting calves. Yeah. I, I thought for sure it was going to be something about farmer's carries. I, I was like, uh, it wasn't that. Yeah, that, that's what I connected it to. Um, thank Very you for, for opening that up, Hannah. That was, My pleasure. That's, yeah. Um, just ended there. That was great. Yeah, I know. <laughs> Podcast is over. Um, all right. So like I said, we we're going to talk a little bit about kind of dumber or the dumb is maybe a little mean but less intelligent uh decisions that we've made with our own training i know that i certainly have made many um and i'm i imagine that over the years you guys have maybe fallen for some tricks uh before you kind of got a little bit more familiar with the science behind things so do either of you want to open up with one of those mistakes that you've made go ahead troy i'd say the biggest one especially as a kid Growing up, the no pain, no gain. Mm. I mean, I think there are a lot of people that followed that. I think there are a lot of people that still follow that. And the it is very almost barbaric, the fact that you're in pain and it's getting worse with the movement. And instead of seeking help or finding something to modify or look for limitations and just kind of plowing through that pain is not good it is it can lead to further complications down the road it can cause you to weaken in movements that you're trying to strengthen and it can even be structural causing structural damage so the no pain no gain it's not that but bad (laughs) um was there ever a time that you like a specific injury that you're thinking of where i was like dude i should not have trained through that or was that just kind of a general philosophy followed for way too long? It was a general philosophy, I'd say. Kind of, you know, 
anterior shoulder pain when benching, back pain when deadlifting, knee pain when squatting, just kind of all just, you know, pushing through it. And it's even like the environment and community I was around, especially in like high school, like, you know, just a bunch of kids lifting, didn't have much guidance where I was. Um, And just everybody kind of followed that. And like, if something hurt, it was just like a normal part of the process. And you just, you know, kept on moving and you didn't say anything about it. Yeah. Yeah. Have you, have you ever followed any training programs or um, maybe like diet advice, nutrition guidelines or nutrition programs that looking back on were, were ridiculous, like something from muscle magazines or the Arnold Schwarzenegger bodybuilding encyclopedia or anything like that. Have you ever run any of those programs? Um, I've definitely run into some programs that were, you know, challenging on the body and, you know, depending on my goals at the time, I may have pushed through it a little bit, some discomfort and, you know, didn't want to modify, wanted to stick with the true program. Um, Definitely. Um, Not too much on a nutrition standpoint um, for myself. I feel like I've always kept my nutrition pretty simple and never got too into that. I'm sure you would be able to tell us some of that. Yeah, I mean, I... So for those of you who don't know, I competed twice in uh, bodybuilding. um, And that world, that culture brings along with it a lot of... A lot of misconceptions, a lot of misinformation on both the diet and the training side. In the last, like, maybe, when did I start? I started in, like, 2012. So the last 8 to 10 years, I've seen a radical shift in the perspectives in the industry going from what was more like YouTube and magazine-level knowledge to now being truly like evidence-based scientifically sound and valid um, recommendations that are based on evidence Uh, so there's been a huge shift but obviously i started my kind of journey in the physique sport world when i was uh, in high school and at that point in time that was not necessarily the case so yeah there's a ton of stuff that i did that i was like oh my god i cannot believe i used to do that i mean from a nutrition side of things Um, Like I genuinely believed early on in my training career that uh, if I had any sugar in my diet that was processed quickly, that I would immediately gain it as fat. Like it just would happen. And that I had to have everything whole wheat. Everything had to be brown, brown rice, brown everything. or the faster processing carbs would be just immediately metabolized as fat. And um, obviously that's not necessarily the case. The GI index that that is based off of, um, when you actually combine a carb source, even something that is metabolized fairly quickly with any other macronutrient, like you combine uh, a banana, which is a very fastly, uh, quickly digesting or has a very Im- rapid insulin response. You combine that with peanut butter and it basically turns into like a sweet potato in terms of its GI index. So um, the reality is I was almost never eating carb sources independently of each other. So that kind of removed that from the scenario. And that isn't even necessarily a concern, even if you do eat the, the carbs. Um, independently of any other macronutrients. So that was one that I fell for for a while that really limited my food choices, and I truly had that belief. 
Um, another one on the nutrition side is I genuinely thought for a long time that you had to eat every two to three hours or you were going to immediately wither away. I did follow that. <laughs> yeah, I know. See, I know you had some beliefs that you were hiding. But no, that was one that I think that that was a narrative that was so pervasive and there was so little information that went counter to that that I think we all probably followed that mindset at first. Um, and again, that's just not the case. And the the need to carry around, like I had a, a six pack bag when I was in my contest prep, which is, have you ever heard of those? So it's basically a bag that you can put Tupperware containers in and the bag, it's like a cooler, mm-hmm. but each section of the cooler has a slot that you can stick uh, Tupperware in. So the whole thing could carry like six or seven Tupperware containers. It had side containers. And I would travel with that because I had to have a meal like every two or three hours. I'd be in class in undergrad, like eating chicken and rice. And people are like, why can't you just wait till after the class? And I'm like, I can't. No. I actually can't or I'll wither away. <laughs> did you set an alarm to wake yourself up in the middle of the night to eat chicken breast? That I did not do. Because I did. Uh, <laughs> yeah, that, that was something, though, that I remember. Have you ever seen the movie Pain and Gain mm-hmm. with Mark Wahlberg? Oh, yeah. So in that movie, I remember, not in the movie, but in his preparation for that movie, I remember reading an article or hearing an interview where he said that he woke up in the middle of the night to drink protein shakes and to eat chicken. Um, and I remember thinking to myself, like, I need to do that. <laughs> and who didn't want to look like Mark Wahlberg? Yeah, and he was jacked. So I was like, I... I absolutely need to wake up in the middle of the night. And I just don't think I had the willpower to do it. I was an undergrad and I was going to sleep fairly late anyways. So, uh, I, I, yeah, I just didn't have it in me to do that. But that was definitely something that I did for a long time was eat at that frequency. Uh, what about you, Hannah? Do you have any, any fitness things that you've fallen for? Um, I don't know about like fallen for, but I definitely like before I knew better kind of I guess fell for the classic like uh, spot reducing or mm. quote unquote toning. So, of course, like a thousand sit ups a day. Um, and then one that was big for me was like, oh, I can't hit quads too much because I don't want my legs to get too big. Oh, yeah. <laughs> that kind of thing. So, yeah. So, those are that one is like, I feel like a myth that goes along with our previous episode yeah, talking sure. about like some of the, the stigma around women lifting weights. Um, the spot reducing thing is another fairly common one that mm-hmm. people, uh, I think today most people understand that if they want to lose body fat in a specific area of their body, they just have to lose body fat until they lose body fat in that area that they can't necessarily, um, lose it in one place or another. I did have a belief at one point in my training, this was like early and under, I think freshman year of undergrads so right out of high school. I believed that if I trained my lats enough that, again, this is like the physique sports, just, I don't even know. Uh, I believed that if I trained my lats enough and my like spinal erectors, just my back in general, that it would basically like create, I would basically have more visible abs (laughs) because it would like, it would create like a shrink wrap system, like corset my, my midsection. And I just thought, like, I will definitely have abs if I get my lats big enough. Not if I lose fat. I just need bigger lats. Yeah. Uh, that was a belief that I fell for. But um, 
what else? What else have you fallen for, Troy, or, or things you've done maybe training-wise? I've fallen been- for I don't know the extent of how true this is, but <laughs> I heard a long time ago that your arms are, your upper arms are 70% triceps. So I spent so much time training triceps to get the anchor arms going. Yeah, that is actually one that I, that I definitely still hear to this day. And I mean, I, I think that literally comes at its soul from triceps and biceps. So they're like, oh, there's five seps, three of them are, <laughs> are tries, and two of them are buys. So proportionately, there's more tries. I feel like without any knowledge of the actual cross-sectional area of someone's arm and looking at like the muscle thickness, probably you do have more tricep muscle tissue, right? Just given, yeah, given the fact that you have more heads of, of your tricep. But that is always one where I'm like, where does this come from? And even if you have 66% triceps, the, the other percentage is still fairly high. That like, you, even if you wanted big arms, you should still probably train your biceps as well. Yeah. So uh, that, that one, I, I have certainly fallen for the same thing, or at least dedicated a large portion of my arm training in the past to triceps because I believed that they would just give me the best return on my investment. Um, one of the more, I, I guess not myths, but one of the just kind of less intelligent decisions that I made in my training was uh, early on, I think I trained with way, way too much volume oh, yeah. specific to even just individual body parts in one session where I remember I had a friend in undergrad who had written me a program um, and he was a bodybuilder, but he wrote me a program and it was like eight sets of eight on squat eight sets of eight on leg press, eight sets of eight on lunges, eight sets of eight on leg extensions, eight sets of eight on hamstring curls, and eight sets of eight on calf raises. Where it was like, I don't even know what the math is there, how many exercises I just said, but you're looking at 40 plus sets of lower body training in one session. And that was like something you do twice a week. So I'm like 80 sets of volume on my legs per week and was just outrageous and it took me it took me quite some time to part of it was like i felt like if i wasn't absolutely destroying myself that it felt like i wasn't gonna get any adaptation from it that no pain no gain yeah so it is kind of the no pain no gain mentality um so i was worried i was like honestly scared that if i had even a remotely easy day at the gym that I'd be like, ah, I just wasted my time today. You know, like I didn't even work out basically, even though I did like 28 sets of legs. Um, so that's one that it took me quite some time to realize that like, okay, I don't need quite as high of a dosage to get an effect. And uh, that probably is what led to some of the injuries I suffered in the past. But um, I imagine you've probably had that experience in the past. I don't know about you, Hannah, just training too much. Oh yeah, for sure. I think I, I still sometimes will catch myself like thinking that way in a sense, but yeah, I think I think one of the big things for me was like if I'm not in the gym for one to two hours, what, why am I going to the gym? Kind yeah, of thing. yeah, and I, I, I even up until probably like a year and a half ago, felt like if I wasn't there for at least sixty minutes, then there's no way I got a sufficiently large stimulus or a good enough session. 
And that's something that even as recent as the last couple of years, I've started to abandon that mentality of like the adaptation to the workout isn't dependent on how long you spent there. And you can get a lot of work done in 50 to 55 minutes, especially if you're not, you know, on your phone scrolling Instagram, Mm -hmm. because I can take the same 50 minute workout stretched over 90 minutes. Mm -hmm. And for whatever reason, the 90 minutes feels more effective because I was there longer, even though it probably was slightly less effective. See, I followed a quote, I forget who said it, I wish I remembered it, but it was, you can work hard or you can work long, but you can't do both. That is very true. That's a good quote. Um, Yeah, so, uh, I mean, for me, I've gone through a lot of those kind of general fitness mistakes. I feel like maybe because I was in the competitive industry of bodybuilding and powerlifting, I was exposed to like even dumber ideas about some of the the ways that we should train. Um, Those just generally don't come out of recreational people quite as much as the people who are like diehard physique sports athletes who are like, bro, you gotta like take this L-arginine or you're not going to get big. Um, And, and yeah, you get those, those weird ideas from time to time in those sports. Um, You look like you have something to say. No. Uh, Any last fitness mistakes that you guys would like to just, Get off your chest. Maybe they've been bothering you for quite some time. Uh, the only one, other one I can think of, which is kind of more relevant recently, is just the obsession with the Apple Watch and Fitbits and all of that. Yeah. Kind of tracking calories burned and. Have you used like that. a fitness tracker? So for- I do use my Apple Watch, um, but I try not to use it in that sense to like hit a calorie goal every day or even a step goal or anything like that it's just more like okay i did something today i'm cool with that yeah type yeah of thing. I, i'm kind of the same way where from my understanding the the research on the accuracy of like heart rate mm-hmm. um with the watches is worth questioning as well as even just the step count i think that it can probably give you a ballpark of like okay did i get two thousand steps or ten thousand I'm probably somewhere in the, in the ballpark there, but my Apple Watch or my Fitbit didn't accidentally miss 8,000 steps. So it'll give you kind of a general idea of, did I work more or less today? Mm-hmm. Um, but the calorie component to it, for one, I feel like is inaccurate to the extent that you would be so, it would feel so like, I don't know. It would almost feel like I would become neurotic, just like, constantly checking like oh man i only hit 2700 calories burned today like i gotta go out and just thinking about that would be mentally exhausting for me especially when it's something that's not even that accurate that uh, i'm gonna drive myself crazy to to base it off of so i've i personally have never used that just because i know that it's going to be exhausting for me to always keep an eye on but um yeah i haven't met too many people who buy in hardcore to that i think it's great in the aspect it gets people moving and it keeps people moving and whatever data they're tracking on it whatever helps them do that whether it's the weekly challenges the monthly challenges challenges amongst each other or just a a personal challenge with you know beating calories or whatever if it keeps people moving then keep running with it yeah yeah i like the i mean it definitely offers like a motivation factor um and I like the idea of the social component of like, I even even the other day, 
I, I witnessed an interaction between two people who were like, hey, I saw you had, like, you hit a, a great time on your three-mile run. I saw it on, like, the Fitbit community or the Apple Watch community or whatever. And he's like, oh, yeah, like, you did pretty well. And, like, that, it seemed like people were actually using it based off this one encounter. But it seemed like people were actually using it to some degree to, like, you know, share their fitness with others. Um, and especially during COVID, I feel like it is very hard to share your fitness with other people just because you're at the gym probably you had to sign up there's only a few people there and um you're likely not even going to interact with them almost at all because everyone's wearing masks it's just kind of like head down i only have 60 minutes in here let me get in get out um so i feel like that that has been something that i've actually thought about more recently um because i've even noticed myself like man i, I kind of miss training around people I like saying hi to people at the gym mm-hmm. Uh, we get pretty lucky here because we um, are able to train. Yeah, we're, we're teamless after work. Yeah, we're pretty spoiled because at Precision we have a whole facility that we can train at as a team after work. Um, so that's been able. I, I've been able to kind of fill in that that gap in my life. But um, yeah, those are just some some of the fitness things that we've done. Maybe some of the bad decisions we've made in the past. Things we've fallen for. Uh, I'm sure that anyone out there who's listening who um, has been in the you know exercise or fitness game long enough has probably heard or fallen for a lot of the same concepts or a lot of the same things, particularly the eating every two hours. I feel like every yep. guy who's into bodybuilding or into like getting more fit has has suffered from that one, but. Um, yeah, hopefully you guys got something from listening to us ramble. Maybe you, you felt a, a connection with us because you fell for the same things. But um, hopefully everyone out there is staying safe, staying healthy. If you want to reach out to us with any questions that you would like addressed in a future episode or for your own injuries, you can always contact me at max at precisionperformancept.com. My Instagram is at maxlepage.dpt. You can always follow Precision Performance Physical Therapy on all social media. And then, Troy, give the people your social media. My social media is troy.cuck.dpt. And my email is troy at precisionperformancept.com. And, Hannah, anywhere that the people can find you? Yeah, I'm on Instagram at sbt.hannah. Are you going to change that to dpt? Hopefully. Do you it's know? Not if, taken yeah, by I was that. gonna say. Do you so. know if that's taken or not? Um, I don't. I feel like you should create another account, reserve the name. That's yeah. Then delete yeah, it immediately before you switch your other one. Yeah, that's. I'll look into that. That's that's wise advice. <laughs> um, all right. Hope everyone is staying safe, staying healthy, and we will talk to you guys in the next episode. Thanks. Did you know? We now offer personalized remote programming one-on-one video telehealth sessions, and mentorships for both students and professionals. If you're interested in any one of these, please email John at J-O-N at precisionperformancept.com and he can help you get started today.